How's working from home been going for you? Remarkably remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships, to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of The Boarding Pass with Ken Weeb of The Athletic and myself, Murad Atesh of The Athletic. As always, we're very excited to have just an elite guest joining us today. I won't spoil it for you just yet in this second, but his weekly work is an absolute must-read for me personally. All of his appearances on Hockey Night in Canada and Sportsnet are the exact same. So by continuing the mystery for just a few more seconds here, <laughs> Ken, i got to throw to you, how are you doing this morning? I uh, do an excellent, Marat. Thanks. Uh, I don't like to get up early for things other than golf, hockey, or flights, but uh, we, got a, <laughs> we had a, we had a good reason to get up today. I've already been out for a walk. Uh, joy levels high uh, into th- the third season of Brooklyn Nine Nine, and uh, very happy to uh, welcome a special guest in uh, Elliot Friedman. Uh, he's been a guy who I've known for a long time, and I hate to embarrass him right off the bat, but. Uh, back in the days when I was covering the Manitoba Moose, uh, the Moose would play the Marlies. They had four o'clock starts, which allowed us uh, minor league reporters the opportunity to squeeze over to check out the Leafs morning skate. And Elliot was always incredibly welcoming and uh, would take Brian and Munz and I out for lunch. And uh, usually knowing our minor league per diems, he picked up the bill and uh, he's just an all around great person uh, to go along with the great work that he's been doing. So Elliot, thanks for joining us this week. I think you should keep telling stories about what a nice person I am as opposed to me talking. <laughs> well, Elliot, I'll, 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 tell, I'll tell one as well. No, um, no, no, no. Guys, guys you're going to make me and the audience sick. Don't. Right? <laughs> you, don't you, you don't have to. Like, it really, was, it's, it's all good. You know, at the, at the draft last summer in Vancouver, uh, I just remember waiting in a, just a long, long lineup of adoring fans to, to shake your hand. I'm, Let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about life in hockey right now. Um, sure, uh, Elliot. First off, the the question we got to ask everybody is uh, is how you're hanging in. What surprising hobbies you've picked up, and and what life is like for you at home right now. You know, I, I have to say that uh, I have a line that I, I give uh, bored but good. So you know, that's kind of my standard line, Murad. I give to everybody now. Um, you know, like everyone else, as long as we're healthy, I'm good. Um, I don't know if I've, I, I gotta tell you, um, my son was supposed to go to summer camp and we're not going to, uh, we're not going to put him to summer camp this summer. So my hobby now is what am I going to do with my son this summer? <laughs> so we've bought a basketball hoop and as soon as the weather gets better out here, which is supposed to happen this weekend, I'm going to have to install that, which could be a real challenge. Um, we've bought a Peloton. Uh, we've also have outdoor bikes for everybody. I have to put my wife's together. And someone asked me, like, is her insurance paid up? That's what the <laughs> comment to me was. So I'm, my, my, my hobby right now is how, how are we going to entertain ourselves in the summer? That's kind of what my hobby is right now, making sure we're prepared with outdoor activities. 
Those are important. Uh, I mean, let's get right into it, Elliot. I mean, I know it's changing daily, but uh, what are your current thoughts on potential return to play scenarios and what direction would you like to see providing it's safe to do so? Well, I think that's the key. And, you know, I think that one thing that I can't stand is whenever somebody talks about a return to play scenario, people are like, they're never going to play. They're never going to be able to play. So that's the key thing that you said there, Ken, is that everything we're talking about here is all dependent on the medical professionals and the respective government saying it's okay to do this. So let's just get that out of the way quickly. You know, I mean, we all saw the story out of San Jose the other day that, uh, the commissioner was on a Zoom call with some Sharks uh, advertisers and community members there, and he said, you know, we're going to play this if we can. I really thought the biggest sports story of last weekend was when that UFC fighter tested positive and they still went ahead with the card. Like, when I, when I first saw that, I thought for sure that meant the UFC event was going to be canceled, and it wasn't. So that says to me that everybody's bracing for we're going to find a way to go even if we get positive tests. So I think they'll move heaven and earth to try to play. I'm betting just based on timelines personally, we're not talking about games until uh, late uh, July, early August. But I think that that's kind of what they're looking at. And I think we're talking expanded playoffs. And we'll go from there. But I, I think we're I think they're gonna do everything they can to play, but I think it'll be later in the summer. Elliot, one of the concerns that you brought up in your most recent thirty-one thoughts was that, you know, a lot of the staff, coaches, trainers throughout who are involved closely with uh, with hockey players on a day-to-day basis are a, a little bit older in the in some of the more vulnerable ranges as we seem to currently know about how COVID-19 operates. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, have you heard much in terms of how the protections for these guys and, and, and ladies will, will work out uh, as time goes by if there's a, if there's a return that, that we get to enjoy? Well, I think, Murat, one of the issues here is that, you know, testing and PPE. We know that in, quote-unquote, the real world right now, there's not enough tests and there's not enough PPE to go around. And I do think that, the supply of those over the next two months is going to have to improve drastically for this to occur. And I, I, I do believe behind the scenes, uh, teams in the league and the players have raised this as a concern. Are we really going to have enough of all of this? And the answer to that question is only time will tell. You know, I, I think the toughest thing, Murat, and, and I think this is for everybody in life, is unfortunately, and I'm not interested in getting the whole debate on opening and reopening and what's right and what isn't. But the one thing I do feel, because I feel it myself, is we're probably all going to have to make decisions, uh, our employment versus our health, right? And, you know, for example, I don't think media is going to be at these games. That's my opinion. I think they're going to try to keep the bubble as tight as they can. But let's just say for argument's sake that media was allowed in and the athletic called you two guys and said, Ken or Marat, we need one of you guys to go. Who's going? And we're all going to have to make that choice, right? Yeah, it's a great point, Elliot, for sure. Uh, Where do you stand on the draft? And I mean, a week ago, we probably were looking at 
early June. Uh, where do you think it's headed now? I know there's been a lot of pushback uh, since the Board of Governors meeting. Well, as we sit here and we record this at 9.07 Winnipeg time on Thursday, I don't even know what day it is anymore, the 14th, <laughs> um, I really don't know. Honestly, I, I thought when that memo went out a couple weeks ago, it was, we're having a draft and you guys better get used to it. I I think I'm wavering on it. Um I think there's now more of a chance. Like, I'm worried that I say this and then, you know, it comes out and then, oh, we're having the draft on June 5th. They're not having it that early because he promised them 30 days. But I do think that the the pushback has been significant enough that it has given the commissioner pause on doing it in June. Um, I think if it happens in June now, it might happen on the original date, although it would still be online. And... Um, but I think there is a chance it gets postponed until after the season. Um, you know, normally when the commissioner of the league suggests something like this, we're used to it happening. There's at least been enough pushback here that it's created doubt. Although, again, at this point in time, as we do this, I'm not sure of what the answer is going to be. It's such an just an interesting, almost, I don't want to say all bets are off, but but certain precedents from from the past that you seem to be able to count on I mean, I think that this is brand new territory for everybody, it sounds like, is what I'm hearing. And, and people are doing the best that they, they can to, to sort things out. Uh, when I think about the draft, whenever it happens, and the Winnipeg Jets, I think, you know, they, they have fewer picks than the full complement. They've traded picks away at trade deadlines of late. I know, Elliot, you keep really uh, good tabs on on the state of the Jets and, you know, what's happened over the last few years at each trade deadline um, with starting with Paul Stastny, Kevin Hayes. There have been a lot of assets going out uh, as Winnipeg is sort of cresting and in, in sort of towards a win now uh, bubble. And I know we've had lots of storylines in Winnipeg this year. I'm wondering what your take on the current state of the Winnipeg Jets is and how they handled all of the things that kind of came across their plate this year. Well, I think the team deserves a lot of credit from top to bottom. And, um, you know, honestly, Murat, your team, and I'm not saying like, you, like you know, the team you cover, I guess, because I hate to, I hate to say, get uh, put the say have people start to say, oh well, journalist team. The team you cover <laughs> had every excuse this year to be bad, and what I think that I think everybody there deserves a lot of credit for not taking the easy path that this year's was could be a disaster especially with what happened with Bufflin on the eve of camp. Like you're sitting there and you're going, okay, we lost Myers and we lost Truba and we know that Liney is not signed and we know that Connor's not signed. We've got all this disruption and, oh, oh excuse me, what? What just happened? <laughs> and I would bet that some of those guys had an idea that it could happen, but now it's for real, right? And you had every excuse this year to fall apart as a team and they did. And, you know, like I, I know there's a lot of debate there about Maurice among the fan base, but to me, the most important thing that a coach does in this day and age, there's more player empowerment in, in sports in general and hockey in particular than ever. And you, the biggest thing a coach has to do is could he get the team to play for him? And this year, 
Paul Maurice set the tone that, and the team played for him. And your best players uh, came out and they were your best players. And everybody contributed. You know, and especially, like, uh, you know, at, as we got towards the pause, you guys were really starting to go. Like, you were going to enter the playoffs the way you wanted to play. That game against Arizona where you fell behind early right before the pause. Like, I watched that game and I was like, you know what, the Jets, they're going now. And I think your organization deserves a lot of credit. Like, that's a high-character group of people that said, we know everybody is writing us off this year. We know that people think we're going to be garbage. And they beat what was expected. And I think that says a lot about the people that you guys have wearing your uniform and in your organization. Elliot, you touched on Bufflin. I mean, obviously, it's been one of the bigger storylines all around. Uh, I mean, given the private nature of both the player and the organization, uh, I mean, obviously, Marat and I did our own reporting, but what were some of the biggest challenges in, in trying to chase that story down that you encountered that we could probably relate to? Well, I mean, you know, the first thing is that, you know, Bufflin doesn't do a lot of talking, right? Yeah. Um, like, you guys are reporters like me. Like, we're all the same. We all have we, we have different approaches, but we're all the same. Like, we're trying to get to Bufflin, right? And somebody warned me, if you bombard Bufflin with texts or anything, he's going to block you. Like, you like you won't even exist. And, you know, I, I don't know. I know Dustin Bufflin. I don't know him that well. I don't profess to really be that close with him or anything. But we know each other a bit. And, you know, I didn't really bother him a lot, but I sent the okay. I think I sent two all year just to see if this fishing expedition would work. And I never heard back from him. And I wasn't surprised, but you know what? It's like uh, you shoot your shot, right? Yeah. So, but so number one, the source himself isn't talking. Uh, Number two, a lot of the other sources weren't talking. The agent, Ben Hankinson, he limited how much he was willing to say. The Jets were practically in the cone of silence. So the people who were talking were not, wasn't the primary source. It wasn't the main secondary sources. So then you're kind of going around to the second, third, and fourth sources, and you're wary because it's not that you distrust their information, but you know you're playing some level of broken telephone. And, you know, like, you always want to check and you always want to make sure you have the right information. But I think in this particular case, because the main sources weren't talking, you really had to be extra careful. And, you know, there were some times some things bled out and some information got out. But I think for a long time, it was really hard to get the information that you wanted or needed to get. And I think that made it the most challenging because Bufflin, as you guys know, is a private guy and he didn't want a lot of info out there. Such a unique circumstance for a unique human being. And um, like you say, and I I think is well known, he's a private guy, even uh, during peak media availabilities. I mean, certainly he wasn't (laughs) He wasn't somebody who just loved to get in front of the, the cameras and, and, and chat as much of a personality as, as he absolutely does have. Um, I, I've heard it said, and I think I agree with this, that um, as frustrating as it was, the cone of silence uh, and the complete re- reticence to say anything about anything um, did the, the organization and players some favors as it kind of went towards sorting out 
um, sorting out and, and Kevin Shovel Day off hoping that Bufflin might eventually return. I, I think I agree with that. Um, uh, to, to what end did, do you think that the, the cone of silence helps or hinders the, an organization? Well, I think it helped in this particular case. Like, you know, you know, we cover Canadian teams, right, guys? And, you know, there's, there's one thing, like I always say, like when, you, when you're a hockey team in Canada, there's always going to be controversies you can't control. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's it's acceptance of life. But the biggest thing you have to do is manage the controversies that you can control. And the Jets and Bufflin controlled this one pretty well. I, I you know, I, I thought it was good that the amount of controversy around it this year, aside from the opening binge, uh, really um, was negligible, as you said, Murat. And I thought that was important. Um, because there, you don't have to ask, answer as many questions about it. It's not driving you crazy. I, I would agree that that was a benefit to them. I would too, uh, Elliot. What's your national opinion of Paul Maurice? I mean, as someone who deals with him, I mean, a little bit from the outside, but you have a unique perspective, having gotten to know him a little bit through, you know, some of the charity events you've done with uh, Scott Oak and, and that nature. Well, I, I like Paul. Um, I do. Um, you know, some people may think it affects my opinion of him. Uh, that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. Um, I, I do. But, you know, my what I said earlier about the job I felt he's done this year, that would be my opinion if I liked him or I didn't. I think he did a very good job in very difficult circumstances creating the right environment. Um you know, I, I've been on the uh, receiving end of some of his acidic answers from time to time. Uh, I think we all know if, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be a reporter now for uh, 26 years and Paul's been a coach in the NHL for over 20. I think we all know that um, not every day is going to be rosy. And if you're doing your job, you're going to write or say things that are going to piss them off from time to time. But I think generally we understand that uh, each other has a job to do. Uh, I do like him personally. I think you mentioned the charity events. I'm glad you did that. I think he's a real good human. I think he will. I think he does try to go bend his way, uh, bend over backwards to help people where he can and sometimes away from public. Um, You know, and I'll tell you this. I, I think he's adapted. Like one of the reasons I think he's coached for as long as he has is he really uh, looks at, okay, what works, what doesn't, and let's be honest in the assessment about it. Um, I don't think that this is, like the one thing I think about Maurice is he he really does publicly, he tries to hide his bite publicly. Like some, like you guys are all familiar with Randy Carlisle. <laughs> Carlisle gleefully showed his bite publicly. <laughs> you know, Maurice doesn't do that. He tries to keep that away. So I think that affects some people's opinion of him. Like he's too nice a guy. He's not too nice a guy. I just think he tries to keep it out. And but the one thing I think he does realize, and I think he's talked a lot, and I, I know he's talked a lot about this privately, is that change in the athlete we talked about. He recognizes it, and I, I think he knows that. You know, you're bi- It's not. You can't just demand out of your players anymore. You have to explain why this is important, and I think he gets that. I think that the adaptation angle is something that's been echoed by his players for for certain this year. I think we heard it from Blake Wheeler a, a fair bit early on, and just the idea that um, that 
his adaptation has been able to to make it so that his message doesn't get stale in the room and at the same time we also hear from guys like Jack Rossovic last year who publicly said that well we don't see the half of it in terms of um, how intense things can get as well so it, it really does seem like what you say is being echoed um, we don't have the world's most time so I'm going to pivot without segue into kind of a semi-personal question that I wanted to ask you on the topic of adaptation and pardon the preamble here there's a few words that go into it um, when one of the things that I've realized uh, being in media is that there, there's so many different reporters and journalists of so many different backgrounds everybody appears to get sort of something different about it. Some people are pure storytellers. They love the story. Some people love to break news. They want to feel like they're the closest to, uh, to a moment uh, that, that there can possibly be. Everybody sort of has their why that drives them. And like you say, you've done this for a few years. Um, you've established uh, an iconic status with 31 Thoughts with Hockey Night in Canada. And I'm wondering, as time goes by, um, has your why changed? And what is that thing that drives you to keep maintaining that standard? You know, I, I think it's a great question, Marat. Um, I think the number one reason that, look, like I've had successes, I've had failures, I'm like anybody else. Um, the number one reason is I like it. I'm passionate about it. I've always liked sports. I realized, Marat, at a very young age, I was not going to play sports at an elite professional level. I didn't have that drive to be great at that point in my life. Um, I eventually gained it to be a drive to be better. And I think that's really helped, but I love sports. I love the unscripted nature of it. It's the last unscripted thing in the world, really. And I love that about it. The ability to see people do incredible things. Um, I love that. Um, I love learning about it. Uh, why things happen, why people do things the way they do. Uh, I'm, you know, I think that the best thing that Hockey Night in Canada has given me as a gift is, um, you know, that you get a, a better chance to see what makes great people tick and what it takes to be good at what you do. And I'm not saying I'm great. I, I don't want anyone to think that. I'm saying that you learn what, is the path to try to be great. And I'm motivated by that. How can I be better today than I was yesterday? I think when you get older, you know, Marat, when you have a family, and I don't know if you have a family, you get motivated by that. You know, I'm motivated to take care of my wife and son and give them the best possible life I can give them. Uh, that's very important, I think, when, when that eventually comes. Um, but the number one thing is that I just love, I'm, I love doing what I do. Like with every job, there's there's BS. We all have challenges at work, whether it's the people we deal with or the pandemic right now. But I'm motivated by, I'm passionate by what I do. I'm passionate about the stuff I cover. I want to take care of my family. And, um, you know, I'm a pretty driven guy. I get challenged from time to time, but I'm a pretty driven guy. And I, and I think that's what it is. I like to tell stories. Like, you know, I'll tell you now what, what actually does drive me a bit, Marat. Like lately, uh, like I don't read my Twitter mentions a lot. And usually, uh, you know, a lot of them during the season are, you, you sound like an idiot. Get <laughs> off my TV. I can't believe you just said that and wrote that. Like the stuff we all get, right? And uh, but now I'm getting a lot of DMs and tweets just from people saying, you know, like 
I'm really glad you're keeping the podcast going. I'm really glad you're keeping the blog going. And I'm sure you guys are getting those too. And right now I'm driven by the fact that if just one person out there is getting their mind off what's going on by listening to what I read or write, I'm driven to help those people out. Like that is important to me right now. Awesome perspective as usual. Elliot, where did the inspiration for First 30 and now 31 Thoughts come from and what's it like to see see its growth over the years? Well, the guy who gets credit for that is a former Hockey Day in Canada producer named Doug Walton who now produces the Blue Jays. Um, I was a sideline reporter when he was producing games and, you know, there would be times I'd come to the games with stuff and they couldn't get in because, you know, the game dictated that I couldn't get on. And he would say, why don't you write some of this stuff? Like you have good information that's not going anywhere. So that's where I came up with it. I like alliteration, so that's why it was 30. Um, you know, I, I, I told the story the other day, actually. Bettman calls the blog 31 Things. And uh, he says, are you going to change it to 32 Things when Seattle comes in? And I said, yes, and stop expanding. Uh, Berkey, by the way, calls it... <laughs> Uh, Berkey, by the way, calls it 31 turds. That's what he calls it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, that's where it came from. And, um, you know, like, like guys, like you're the same way as me, you, you'd hate it. And there are some weeks I'm like at 18 and I'm like, why, what did you do to yourself? Why didn't you pick 10 thoughts? But like, it's like, it's like anything we all do. Like if people are reading it and people are getting some enjoyment out of it, you're ready to do it. If, if if nobody read our stuff, you wouldn't do it. So the fact that people seem to like it, you're motivated to do it. 100%. I, I got to say that um, just sitting in my chair right now, listening to Elliot Friedman talk, listening to Ken Weeb talk, uh, I think that what you said about... Uh, you know, keeping the blog going, keeping uh, your activity going. To to hear you guys talk about hockey is is a sense of normalcy and a, just a sense of goodness for me. It's been very much appreciated having you on, Elliot. Um, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for sharing your insights and, and your thoughts. And, and come back anytime you like, good sir. Well, Marat, like it's a it's a pleasure to chat with you, Ken. I wish I could say this. No, just kidding, Ken. We've known each other for longer. No, Ken, it's a pleasure to chat with you guys too. And and like yours, like like that. Like I'm 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 glad to be on the podcast right now. I, I read everything you guys write. Let's all keep it going. Let's give people something to enjoy and to and to talk about. Um, that's what I see. Is like, hey, we're not on the front lines. We're not doing important work. But I think the work we do can give people a bit of an escape. So let's keep it going. Elliot, that was awesome, man. Have a great day, man. Take care. Yeah, thanks for being on, Elliot. Cheers. All right, you guys take care. Well, Ken, I got to say that is an absolute pleasure to have Elliot Friedman on the show. One of my all-time favorite episodes of any podcast ever was Elliot Friedman joining Craig Custins for the full 60 Once Upon a Time. I've just always appreciated that he's a guy that's willing to go thoughtful about life at the same time as, as doing his job to just the utmost degree and I gotta say I appreciated the why answer as well and I always appreciate when people are, are willing to go up and as he was saying it I thought to myself I gotta talk to Ken about this Ken um, we don't have too much time so uh, maybe you could give us a little teaser when it comes to the things that motivate you to be you and be the guy in Winnipeg um, what is your why? Yeah, you know what? Very similar to Elliot. I mean, I have incredible passion for storytelling, for sports, for writing, and uh, those are things that that drive me. And 
Uh, again, I hate to embarrass him again, but Elliot was one of the one of the people that I spoke to when I was thinking about joining the athletic, and we had a great conversation about it. And uh, I mean, pushing yourself to the next level and and trying to get better every day; those are things that that honestly motivate me every day. So, I mean, it's been a great decision for me, and I'm incredibly appreciative of the opportunity I've been given here. And yeah, it was great to talk, uh, Elliot. We could have gone. Uh, for hours with him he's such an insightful guy he loves the game he's passionate about the direction it's going you know we probably could have had a great analytical discussion with him Murat uh, one of the other topics uh, we're looking at uh, player tracking I mean that's something that Elliot's uh, written about and talked about as well so we'll definitely try to to get him on uh, down the road again yeah his latest 31 thoughts even talked about kind of what the not necessarily on the tracking angle but what the next broadcasts will look like when uh, hockey gets going again and um, you know I've read his work on player tracking as well and it seems like whether it's storytelling or the details the nitty-gritty of the reporting and the and the breaking of stories it you, you you don't get interested and cover all different angles of something without a great degree of passion for it can can I ask you I mean I I, I would love to talk about what we've been working on and, and promote some things but you know when you go to um, somebody like Elliot Friedman and you talk about joining the athletic you know is there something from that conversation that you can share that sort of uh, you know brought you across the fence and, and sort of made us the team that we are uh, you know what just uh, about you know pushing yourself and getting out of your comfort zone I mean I had a job that I loved uh, very much at the Winnipeg Sun and for Post Media and had a lot of responsibility there but for me uh, and I've said this before I mean I was I was an athletic subscriber early on in the process uh, I originally got it for the Blue Jays coverage from uh, the great John Lott and I really loved the the direction that the athletic was taking in terms of storytelling and and providing the uh, tools and resources to to be able to go out and tell some of those stories that uh, in a newspaper world, the budgets were getting tighter and tougher to, to tell some of them and to go beyond uh, just what was happening during the games and the series that I was fortunate enough to be covering uh, uh, nationally for Post Media. So, I mean, you just said, you know, got to believe in yourself and if it's something that you believe in, uh, don't be afraid to go for it. So, I mean, those are some things that really stuck out in Vancouver when we had talked at the uh, at the NHL draft. Well, we're very, uh, very glad that you did. Um, very glad to have your next feature coming up on Bob Essenza. Um, very glad we're going to be joining uh, Grant Klitsum on the podcast next week as well. Uh, the ride's been great, Ken. I'm glad that you took the leap, and, and I know how much you, you know you enjoyed what you were doing before, uh, and it's just been a great ride to have you. We're almost coming up on one year to to that those draft day conversations, and then uh, in September we'll have to mark it again. I can't let you guys go without letting everybody know that Tampa Bay Lightning head coach John Cooper joined Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on the two-man advantage this week at The Athletic. That's a podcast that you've got to check out. John Cooper is a thoughtful, articulate speaker, and it was Scott Burnside's birthday this week, so we got to make sure that everybody's listening to his finest work. Uh, that'll be a great listen for you on your part. Uh, beyond that, make sure that you check out our new comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Say hello, let us know how we're doing, what you want to hear, what guests you might like for us to have on, 
Uh, let us know how you, you like the Elliot Friedman show, anything you wish we would have asked him or thoughts on the questions. Above all else, don't forget to rate and subscribe to The Boarding Pass on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash theboardingpass, you'll get 40% off your subscription. For Ken Weeb, I'm Murata Tesh, and this has been The Boarding Pass.